Welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and on today's show, we're going to be breaking down why Utah makes the playoffs. Now, before we get into that, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, as that really helps the channel out. With all that out of the way, let's get into it. Welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your daily source for all things college football. And now your host, Christian Hunt. How does Utah make the playoffs? Well, actually, it's pretty easy. It's easier than a lot of people would think. Okay, the first thing that I've got here is they're going to be bringing back 14 players that helped them win a not-so-great Pac-12 last year. Now, head coach Kyle Whittingham, he's in his 18th year with the program, and he's helped them you know, really stack up 144 uh, wins to 70 losses. So pretty good record there, right? Really good, actually. He's won twice as much as he has lost, so that's pretty damn good. Uh He's only been a head coach with Utah, so that's pretty good. Let's see here. He's led him to 15 bowl games. So in 18 years, he's he's only not made a bowl game in three seasons, right? And interestingly enough, they've only had three seasons in which they they failed to win seven games. Um, The only year, you know, I'll say this, not the only year, but one of those years in those three seasons that we just talked about was a COVID year in which they they only played five games. He has an 11 and four record in bowl games. Listen, this guy, when you talk about college football, when you talk about consistency, when you talk about being that dude, right? This is that guy. He doesn't have elite level recruiting classes year in and year out. He doesn't have, uh, you know, one of these states that has, you know, pipeline states or, or whatever have you. He's not really close to talent. Like, that's the thing. He should not be relevant. But Utah, year in and year out, they're always relevant. They always seem to have something uh, good going on. And, man, I tell you, Kyle Whittingham does a really good job at the talent he has on his roster. They also have a, a really good history of upsetting great teams that they shouldn't beat. I mean, think about this. Back in 2008, they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, right? That was that that Bama team. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was either the year before or it was the year right after they won the championship. I, I think they won it in 09, if I'm not mistaken. So this was a really, really loaded Bama team that they ended up beating that year. Now, last year, interestingly enough, they actually barely, just barely lost to Ohio State. It was a 48 to 45 loss. They lost by three points, obviously. Here's why I like their chances of getting back in the playoffs this year. You've got a fired up, pissed off, rested Ohio State team and Alabama team, right? And then there's kind of, you know, all the other teams we talk about, the Georgias and the Clemsons and whatever have you. Then there's Utah, right? You you kind of go to Utah in that next sort of tier, you know, depending on who you are and how you rank them, it's probably a top 10, top 15 team, right? Listen, Utah can shock some people. You put them in the right, you put them in the right environment, Utah will start shocking people. And I'm gonna tell you why. Okay, they bring back their leading passer from last year, their leading rusher, and their leading wide receiver from last year. Okay, they were really, really good. Quarterback Cam Rising last year, right? He had 3,000 yards and 26 touchdowns. He's a dual threat guy, man. He can run it and he can uh, throw the ball on you. The running back Tavion Thomas had 1,100 yards and 21 touchdowns. Dude, he had 21 touchdowns. Come on, that dude, he absolutely gutted 
teams last year, right? He did great. Now, they're leading wide receivers. It's actually sort of a, a combination of tight ends, right? So it's kind of a – they run a different little offense where they, they try to utilize more tight ends, more slot receivers. They don't have, like, your traditional, uh, you know, six-foot – seven you know basketball power forward wide receiver out there on the edge going up and, and making plays they they try to utilize a little bit different styles out there so their tight ends brant kuthi and dalton kincaid they combined for 1100 yards last year and 14 touchdowns both of them are going to be back this year that's got to be good their offensive line right we talk a lot about offensive linemen and getting that experience back they're going to have three offensive linemen back that is that, that's going to go a long way right this is an offense like I said, as we discussed, it's going to have an opportunity to keep clicking, to keep building off what they did last year. The Pac-12 this year, again, if you ask me out of the Power Five, the Pac-12 is probably one of the weakest conferences out there. Uh, other than Oregon and USC, I, I don't see who else in that conference is really worth their salt, right? I think Washington is going to take a few years to get built back up. I think Stanford's going to take a little bit of time. Like there's some programs that are going to be good, but it's going to take them a long time to get back to that point, right? So again, I do think Utah, as always, I mean, they have a chance to still be one of the most uh, consistent teams anyways in the Pac-12, and I think we'll kind of get into it here. Let's look at their, their defense and what their defense brings to the table. Okay, so the defense... Might not have been able to stop Ohio State, but it was great against just about everybody else, all right? The run defense was amazing, okay? The pass rush was among the best in the nation and the top. It was in literally one of the top in the Pac-12. And there's a whole lot of that talent from that defense last year that's going to be back this year. All right, let's take a look here and see who all they're going to have coming back. Okay, they bring back most of their defensive line, and they actually have a star in the defensive backfield, okay? Here's where it gets a little bit, dang, you know, their heart and soul, the team linebacker, Devin Lloyd, and his, uh, you know, fellow linebacker, Nephi Sewell, they're almost irreplaceable because they were bookends right there, man. They were bookends in the middle of that defense. However, to replace Lloyd, they brought in a Florida transfer in uh, Muhammad Diabetate, all right? Probably mispronounced his name. I'm sorry if I did there. Uh, in the middle, okay? He had 170 tackles and five and a half sacks for the Gators in three years. So it was his combined stats, right? The pass rush is actually going to be led by sophomore defensive end Van Fillinger, who's the leading returning pass rusher on the team with five and a half sacks, right? As always, Utah has terrific big tackles to work with, all right? They've got a six foot two, or sorry, six foot three, 297 pound sophomore in junior Tafuna. All right, he's going to be the man in the middle for him, right? And then they've got a transfer in former BYU Cougar Devin Kafalski playing a bigger role after coming up with 13 stops last year, okay? This is a team, like I said, this is a team that has that sort of, you know, they have that feel in the front seven, right? They've, they've got that feel that they're like, eh, you know, they're, they're getting a little bit of their, their middle backers, their heart and soul of the defense, kind of like we talked about, that's kind of ripped away from because we went to the NFL. But they've got guys to step up and replace, and that defensive line is going to be pretty good, like we talked about. Their defensive line is going to be really good. Let's take a look at their uh, defensive backfield, though. They've got safety Cole Bishop. Okay, He's coming off of a 55-tackle uh, season. They've got another safety who transferred in, All right, Clayton Isabel. All right? He was a star at the FCS level at Illinois State, and he put up 62 tackles and three picks last year. So that's pretty good. You know, They've got a couple of – they've got a – couple of guys that have some experience right back there in that secondary probably their best player that they have 
uh, at Utah on this defense is going to be cornerback Clark Phillips. And he's a superstar by all accounts in the making. Last year, he had 62 tackles. He had two sacks and he had 13. I'm going to say that one more time. 13 pass deflections. Duke and ball. All right. He can straight up get, get there. Um, here's the reality of the situation. We kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. Okay, the defense has to step up in the middle. All right. They're breaking in new safeties, they're breaking in new backers. You know, here's the thing. That's ultimately it's gonna help that you're you're getting back most of your defensive line, you're getting back most of your pass rush, and you're getting back, you know, your strong corner, your number one corner over there is a superstar, like we talked about. So that's good because guess what? If for whatever reason you, as long as you can get to the quarterback and you can sort of you know, hopefully those guys at the, the backer positions, the linebacker positions, they can step up and play decently well. That's gonna really help them out. Okay, because especially in the back with the safeties, you know, that you're trying to get done, like they got to cover more ground. So as long as your backers can do okay and they can sort of hold up, I mean, the rest of the team really shouldn't be that bad, I would say. Here's the other thing that I, I kind of look at when we talk about this. The offense should be good enough to carry them. Okay, it, it takes time on a defense to, takes time, reps, experience together. You know, that's what part of these teams don't understand, like when – you go and you, you go into the transfer portal and you get these guys right and you throw them into your your cohesiveness as a team it takes time to get everybody on the same page right and it just takes time for that i think like i said i don't th it's going to take time to get these guys that are transferring into the program on the same page i would say 100% hands down okay Here's the thing. With their schedule, they should be favored to win just about every game they play in. Now, they open, the, they open the season on the road in the swamp, okay? Ironically, you know, their starting middle linebacker is going to get a chance to go against his old team, like, right off the bat, right? So that's going to be pretty interesting to see. Can he live up to those expectations? Can he say, you know, hey, look at me. Look, I made the right decision, right? And, and ball out. Now, it also depends what Florida team are we going to get? You know, here's the reality of the situation. I don't know with them having a new coach, what style of Florida team we're going to get. A lot of people seem to think that, Hey, when you go out and you hire a new coach, you're going to be successful right off the bat, right? You're just going to like night and day difference. First game. Hey, we're going to start coming out. We're going to start drubbing teams. We're going to get back into national title contention. It doesn't work that way. It takes time. It takes recruiting classes, depending on what sort of offense you run versus what talent you have versus, you know, whatever, et cetera. Right. It takes a seismic shift to do that. And whenever you, the more seismic, the, the more drastic of a shift that you have to do away from that, the longer it can take. I mean, for example, look at Georgia tech, you know, they got real excited with Jeff Collins. He came in and was trying to get them out of running the triple option into something more modern in this century. Right. And look at, you know, look at what's going on with them. They were they were always arguably middle of the pack to top of the pack in the ACC, and they realized we're not going to compete, so they fired Paul Johnson. Now they're at the bottom of the ACC, and they're really not just the ACC, but in college football because they're trying to make a huge seismic shift, right? So here's the reality point, right? It, the same thing that can be said about Florida. It's going to be interesting to see with Billy Napier over there with the Gators, what Florida team are we getting off the bat? And I think you'll be able to, if you're a Florida fan, the great news with this, you're going to get a really, really good treat because you're going to get to see what kind of Florida team you get. Okay. At the midpoint of the season, they're going to play USC at home. Okay. That's their second test of the year, right? Arguably, when they, but they're playing probably the best team they're going to play all year. 
at home. So that, that should be an advantage for them, right? Again, like we talked about, they're going to have some time to sort of click in, lock in, and get all this stuff going. All right. And the second to last game of the year, they travel to Oregon for a rematch of the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon's going to be fired up. They're going to be pissed off. But here's the reality of the situation. I, I just realized this right now, by the way. All three of those teams that I just mentioned, Florida, USC, Oregon, they all have brand new coaches. So now, again, we have no idea what to expect. On paper, okay, when I look at this on paper, USC should be a really, really good team this year, right? With what they were able to do by bringing in players in the transfer portal, right? Especially by the midpoint of the year, they should be locking in, clicking in, rolling. And you look at USC schedule, they have a pretty easy schedule too, but this isn't about them, right? Again, like I was saying, USC has a really good shot, in my opinion, at, at potentially beating them. You know, if they can play well, but I, here's the reality of the situation. You don't know with Florida, USC, and Oregon what kind of teams you're going to get. We think we may know, but we don't. So the great news, if again, for all those programs I just mentioned, whenever you play Utah, you can guarantee you're going to figure out real quick what kind of team you have. <laughs> Here's my, here's my my ultimate projection for him. I don't like to I don't like to uh, jack around with this stuff anymore with you guys. I want to be real. I think Utah can win out this year. Everything sort of is aligned. The stars have aligned for them, right? They're playing a lot of these programs that they normally get tripped up by, and they all got first year head coaches, and they're trying to break things in. They're trying to do things, and it seems like even the best one out of all three of those that we were just talking about in USC, in my opinion, uh, there's too many question marks out there. There's still a lot of question marks on their offensive line. Still a lot of question marks on their defense, right? Those are two things I think that Utah favors. Okay. <laughs> Utah can, might be able to favor them. So like I said, I think Utah gets back because they're able to take advantage of all these things we were talking about. But that's actually going to do that. You know, that's going to conclude that segment uh, about how Utah gets the playoffs there, right? Let's jump in uh, over to the hot takes now, right? So my first hot take of the day, I've got Texas beating Bama, but they lose to UTSA. So somebody says that Texas is going to beat Bama and that they're going to lose to UTSA. That is a, certainly, certainly an interesting take, I feel like, because that would be the most Texas thing ever. I mean, think about that, right? That, wouldn't that be the most Texas thing? Like when you when you hear Texas Longhorns fans talk about this, well, by God, we lost to Bama, or we beat Bama, but we lost to UTSA. And then see, it, that would be so hard to really gauge that, right? Because would you who'd you be mad at? Would you be mad at the players? You'd probably be mad at Sark. Like it's such a Texas thing to happen if they did that. Here's the reality, okay. They need to beat both, but more than likely, here's what's going to happen. They're going to lose to Bama, and they're going to beat UTSA. I, I, like I said, I really think they, they beat Bama. Or No, I'm sorry. I, don't, I think they lose to Bama, but they beat UTSA, right? If that were to happen, the other one, man, that'd be, that would be crazy, but I can see it happening. If it happens the opposite way of what I've just said, the third alternate option where they lose both games, I'm telling you right now, man. Steve Sarkeesian isn't long for that team. And then people are going to say, I hate him. No, I've laid out a very clear, concise way, I think, in other podcasts, uh, why I think he's about to get exposed in this, right? And he's in a bad situation at Texas. Let's jump over to the next one here. Bama will have three regular season losses. Their toughest games is at Texas, which we just talked about, at Arkansas, home against Texas A&M, and then at Tennessee. Here, I'm going to break this down for everybody real quick. 
Texas has questions at quarterback, so they're going to have to figure that that part out, right? They need to figure their quarterback position out first, okay? Same with A&M, okay? And also A&M has tons of inexperience on defense, okay, and throughout that team. Plus, there's the whole Jimbo feud, okay? Let me kind of roll back for a second and talk about this, and then I'll go back into the, the Jimbo feud here in a second. Texas A&M has got to figure out their, their quarterback position. I think they're a really talented team. They're really inexperienced, so they have a lot of young guys coming off of signing the nation's number one recruiting class. But it's going to take them time. I don't think this is their year. I think next year is the is the year that you need to be circling if you're an AM fan. Don't get, you know, your expectations this year, let's kind of keep it seven, eight wins. Hey, that'd be great. That's about what we need to do. We need to make sure we find our quarterback of the future next year, right? We need to be competing for the SEC championship game, bare minimum, right? Um, so again, like with that being said, I think Texas doesn't pose as much of a threat as people want to. I think this is all hyped up. I think... You know, same thing, right? Texas A&M. I think this this year, everyone's got them all hyped up. I, I don't think it's their year this year. They're a talented team, but they're not going to be the experience that you want out of a talent team, right? You know, there a lot of this the Texas the Texas and Texas A&M thing going up against Bama. It's all just kind of fueled by by TV ratings. They know they're going to be able to sell this and market it because, especially with Jimbo uh, Fisher, you know, having that big feud with Bama and, and Nick Saban. Man, that's just like printing money. Okay, we know what we got here with it. So, but I don't think they beat him this year. Arkansas, let's get into Arkansas here. Arkansas is a really good team. You know, they're coached by Sam Pittman, who to me is like baby Cur or baby Kirby, and Kirby's like baby Saban. They're good. They're just not good enough to, to compete with Bama, man. Uh, the, uh, simply flat period point. Go look at Bama's roster and go look at Arkansas's roster off roster alone. They're good, not good good enough to compete with them, right? I think it'll be an interesting game. I think Arkansas will kind of try to keep it close, but I think going into the second half, I think Saban and then pull it pull away drastically, right? Tennessee, okay, I think they're the same thing as Arkansas, right? I think they're a good program. Do I think they're, you know, hang in line with Alabama and the the you know perennial all-star team that they're getting ready to field this year? No, I, I don't think so, right? I think Tennessee's good, and I know a lot of Tennessee fans are going to get fired up when I said that because, look, at the end of the day, I, I know you want your team to be good, right? I, I understand it. You want your team to be back. You want them to be relevant, and it's frustrating because you guys are doing awesome things right now on the recruiting trail. You guys are doing awesome things right now as far as you know, with Josh Heupel and the offense and bringing back, you know, your returning leading rushers, receivers, and passer from last year. You know, you got Hooker, you've got Jabari Small, you've got um, Cedric Tillman at the wide receiver position. You guys have some awesome things that you have, but it's like, can you, it's all timing, right? Like if you had two more years with all these guys I just mentioned, God, man, that would be so awesome. But I got a feeling it's going to be their last year together, right? And then Heupel's getting some more of that talent in. And then guess what's going to happen when he gets that talent in? Then he's probably going to play him early. That can mess with their confidence, right? This is about this year, though. So let's, let's jump back into this year. Sorry. <laughs> a, little off, a little off topic there. Tennessee, to me, they're the same thing as Arkansas, right? I think they're good, but they're not good enough to beat Bama. Let's get on to the next hot take here. Sam Hartman will be the best quarterback in the ACC. I want to ask a question before I go any further in this hot take. What qualifies... As best quarter as the best quarterback, because I think when you ask people that question or when you make that statement, you know this so and so is the best quarterback, right? Like what qualifies that? Is it stats? 
Is it God-given talent? Is it wins? Right? Like, what qualifies it? Because from a talent standpoint, the best quarterback in that league is DJ Ungavalele, okay, out of Clemson. Right? From a win standpoint, it's probably that guy too. <laughs> right? From a, you know, stats standpoint, yes, it is Sam Hartman. Because then the reason why I say that is stats can sometimes be misleading. You can have the best quarterback on the worst team, right? You can have the best quarterback on the worst team. I mean, think about that, right? If, if I have the best quarterback and we're down and we're having to throw the ball a million times a game and I end up putting up 10,000 yards in a season, right? Versus the guy that was really, he's better than me in every way and their team wins way more than we do. You know what I'm saying? But I have way more stats than him, but they don't throw it as much because they're always up. So why would you do that? You see what I'm saying? Like it, it's a little bit deceiving in that way, right? To me, I think this is a... There's a lot of quarterbacks for this, right? I don't think he ends up being, I think he actually underperforms this year. Why? I know it seems terrible because they're, they're getting their wide their best wide receiver back. They're getting some offensive linemen back. I know all this is sacrilegious, right? There's a lot of really, really good quarterbacks this year that are going to push him in that league. Again, you got uh, the kid from Clemson and DJ. You've got Devin Leary up the road at NC State's going to push him. And then you've got Keaton Slovis right at Pitt. I think he has a really good year this year. Uh, my honest opinion, I mean, I can see Sam Hartman being the best quarterback in the ACC, but again, to answer that question truthfully, you know, what is your definition of what is the best quarterback, right? That's, to me, that's, that's you have to be able to say what qualifies is that, and then that's how you would answer that question. Flat Rock Sports presents Hunt's Hot Seat. On this segment of Hunt's Hot Seat, I'm actually going to be breaking down UNC coach Mac Brown. Now, Mac Brown is technically, okay, technically not on the hot seat yet, but I wanted to give him a fair shake as we've already covered majority uh, of coaches that are on the hot seat here, right? So let's take a look at it. Throughout his storied, and this dude does have a very storied career, okay? He is, actually has a 265 to 139 career record. Uh, he's been a head coach for 40 years. <laughs> I mean, he's been a head coach for a long time. He's been at North Carolina for four years, except this is his second stint with the team. He has an overall record of 90 and 63 uh, total, right, throughout his tenure there, both stints. And in his second stint, he is 21 and 17. Okay, so he's a couple games over 500 here you know, for the team. They're coming off of a six and seven season. Uh, they've been to a bowl game every year. He's been actually, sorry, he's been to a bowl game every year since he's been back with the Tar Heels. But, and this is comma slash, however you want to take it. They're one and two in those bowl games. Overall though, throughout his entire career, he is, he does have a 14 and 10 overall bowl record. So that is good for him. You know, listen, Mac Brown, when I think of Mac Brown, I think more or less of the Texas years, right? Uh, he was able to do really well. He was able to recruit the state, the entire state of Texas while he was there. They won one of, it's not even hands down debatable. They won the best game ever played in that was the Texas USC game back in was it 05, 06. And it was the best game I think they've said ever played. So 
uh, he coached that game and they texas ended up winning the national championship so yeah you know he's got one natty to his 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 record there and then after that it was he got him to a second one against Bama, and that was the start of the Bama dynasty, of course, as everybody knows. They ended up losing Colt McCoy early in that game, and a lot of people think that, you know, had Colt played, that would have been a, probably a, a close game. Who knows what necessarily would have happened. I'm not saying uh, Texas would have won that game, but certainly could have been interesting to see. Now, here's, here's kind of where he ranks at as far as recruiting goes in this. Uh, he currently has the number 21 recruiting class as of right now. And since he's been in Texas, he's averaged the number 13 uh, class in the country, okay? Or sorry, since he's been at UNC, I think I said since he's been in Texas. Since he's been at UNC, he's averaged the number 13 class. You know, look, when I, when I break down his, you know, recruiting rankings and where the records and everything are, they're about on par. Maybe he's underperforming just a tad bit, right? You know, again, I've seen teams that aren't even inside the top 40 but have way better records right and you see that a lot here's the reality right for mac brown like a lot of these coaches we've covered a lot of them have come from the acc ironically okay a lot of them have come from the acc a lot of them are basketball schools right and they're craving football relevancy Right, they're craving this sort of football relevance, right? And you and UNC is no difference, right? I mean, this is a school that literally had guys such as Lawrence Taylor, Julius Peppers, and Jeff Saturday come out of it, right? Uh, Michael Jordan went to school here, right? This is a situation that we see this all the time. This is this is one of the flagship basketball programs in the South. I mean, and, and not just in the South, but the entire country. So they want to make their football program relevant to go alongside of that. I think this is, we're, we're looking at this, right? I, I think this is, they have to make that move. Okay, they have to make that move to that ne next tier up, okay? I'm going to give him right now, I'm going to give him a, a, a four. Actually, scratch that, comma, five. I'm going to give him a five. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to give him a five. It's right neutral in the middle, okay? This is a crucial year for Mac Brown. All right, because they have to make that move up and they got to go to that next tier. All right, they got to start competing for ACC titles and not finishing fifth in their division. Okay, that's what they did last year. They finished fifth in the division. Here's the reality of that situation, right? Uh, you kind of walk it back a little bit to the start of last year. Uh, Sam Howell, right, who's on to the NFL. Some of these, you know, they've got they've had players drafted and such. Their expectation at the start of last year was they were going to be competing with Clemson for an ACC title. That didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. As a matter of fact, like I said, they finished towards the bottom of the ACC, right? That's not what you want, you know, if you're expected to be competing. All right, here's the here's the other thing we just kind of alluded to here, right? This is a, such a pivotal year for him because he's replacing a ton of talent that left for the NFL, okay? If the gap between Clemson and Pitt and some of these top teams, Wake Forest, keeps get widening, okay? Keeps widening like it looks like it is, uh, they're going to be in trouble, right? They're, they're going to be in a lot of trouble the, the wider that thing gets and the longer he's there. Um, like we said earlier, right, as far as recruiting goes, there are other coaches out there that have done a, a way better job with less talent, have, wor have had worse recruiting classes, but have better, you know, they have better success out there, right? Here's the thing, right? It sucks because he's a legacy to the program. But 
as I've kind of alluded to throughout a lot of this hot seat, you know, segment, he's a legacy to the program, but this is probably one of the most pivotal years in his 40 years of coaching, because this is going to determine how much longer Mac Brown's going to be on the sidelines. They have a good year this year. They can kind of be in the middle of the pack. He'll probably stay on for a couple more years. If they don't have a, a not, if they have a not so great year this year and they're towards the bottom of the pack, he might just pack it in and just say, you know what, man, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm going to probably take my talents and retire. Right. And I'm going to turn it over. And I could see that happening. Like I said, I mean, I like Mac Brown. I think he's a great coach. I think he's one of the best coaches we've seen in the sport. You know, sometimes the, uh, you know, the, the championship pedigree isn't really there, but I mean, the guy at least has one, right. So we can speak to that. Look, I think this is the, the pivotal year for Mac Brown. And he's got to prove it. If, if they lose, you know, like I said, whatever, if they're more, if they're not middle of the pack in the ACC this year to, to upper the pack competing for that title, uh, at the end of the year, or at least in the next two years, I should say. Mac Brown's not going to really have to worry about being on the hot seat. I think he'll just retire before he gets too far down that rabbit hole, right? But with that being said, that's actually going to conclude this episode of the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your, your source for daily college football content. As always, I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we'll catch you next time.